something terrible happened. The Riley and Kimmy Show! <laughs> and then it happened again. Kimmy! I got one name! Kimmy! If this is the truth, where does it end? The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Toys, movies, comics, and so much more. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And the more that you listen, the more that you'll know. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to episode 1027. It is a Wednesday today. The show is uploaded. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy. Three very sane spectators. And that's so true. And I have a sane spectator right next to me. It's Kimmy. She is my witch. Likes to rock to a crazy song. Every night she's a winning on. She's a chick with a wicked twist. She is my witch. And she is, and I wonder if she's going to be cosplaying in her uh, witch outfit uh, coming up in some upcoming appearances with the Riley and Kimmy show. Now, are you doing that? Mm. We'll just have to find out. Ooh, okay. Just well, have to wait and yeah. see. Well, by the way, speaking of witches, that also reminds me of something else, and that is Halloween. Boo. And plenty of chance to go boo at your local comic book store because Halloween Comic Fest is just around the corner. It's going to be happening on uh, Halloween weekend, the Saturday of Halloween weekend, that is October 29th. Now, Halloween Comic Fest is a celebration of Halloween and comics. The event takes place at Saturday, October 29th at participating comic book shops. And, by the way, free, free, get this, free Halloween-themed comics will be available along with chances for fans to participate in the greatest Halloween costume contest ever it is a great event for comics and Halloween. Also, a good way to encourage people to uh, read or get exposed to comic books because there are still people out there, and I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults that have no idea of the world of comic books. They don't realize The Walking Dead, Kimmy, is from the comics. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity to take one of those souls who loves The Walking Dead to a comic book shop and say, hey, this is where it really all came from. Yeah. So support your local comic book shop. And by the way, today is what, Kimmy, being a Wednesday... Well, it's New Comic Book Day. That's right, New Comic Book Day. And we have a comic book shop located right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com for you to find that place to go to today, possibly, to check out comic books and new product that is available there, like statues, toys, and things like that. And also, this is a good place uh, or a good location to find those uh, places that are participating in Halloween Comic Fest. You just put in your zip code and you find your comic book store. Now, we can recommend some in the Central Florida area that are good friends to the Riley and Kimmy Show. Be sure to check out our good friend Todd, the owner of Heroes Landing, and that is in Claremont, Florida. Also, Comic Central in Sanford. Stop by and see Tyson and Sam. Swing on by Famous Faces and Funny. See Rick and the staff. That's in Melbourne, Florida. See our good friend Peter at Viera Comics in Melbourne as well. 
Coliseum of Comics in Altamont Springs. Stop on by and see Charity and everybody there and say hello from us. And if you're over in this part of the area of Orlando, Florida, stop on by Mike's Comics. And that's out on Orange Blossom Trail and see Mike and the staff there. They will, all those places we mentioned, will help you out. They they will, you know, get you all set up, especially for Halloween Comic Fest. I know that mm-hmm. as well. And today's the day to check out brand new stuff, right, Kimmy? Yeah. Yeah, can't wait. And by the way, we will be appearing at a comic book shop in the not-so-distant future. Uh, that's going to be happening. And, boy, I'm going to have to keep you in suspense on that, right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Because we won't be revealing that for a little bit. But that is just around the corner. Now, speaking of Halloween, there is something that's going to be happening a little bit after Halloween. Now, we will be, first of all, I'm going to state where we're going to be for Halloween. Then we'll get to this special announcement. We made a reference to it on a previous episode of 1026, and it has become solidified really early in the morning on Tuesday, about 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. I started getting uh, private messages from people saying, "It's, it's real, it's happening. We'll get to that in just a few moments. Now, we'll be spending... Halloween weekend in Tampa Bay at Megacon Tampa Bay. And we hope you will be going there, too. If you're in the area, please stop on by. A lot of a lot of things going on. Just too many to list right here. Be sure to check out their website, MegaconTampaBay.com, for more information, ticket information, also all the celebrity guests that will be there. Now, if you'd like to find out something else going on, we had some previous interviews done. You can check out interview on, uh, let's see, episode 1020 with James Armstrong. Now, he is the... Programming coordinator with Megacon Tampa Bay, and matter of fact, the parent company. He's one that's in charge of setting up the celebrities, the big names who are there, and just, you know, he is the guy for the whole operation of, of the event. Programming coordinator. Fascinating interview. That's on 1020. And then on 1022, we have Kevin Boyd. He is the event coordinator of comics. His, his thing is just the whole comic section, the art, artist area. And his interview is totally different. It's it's from the comic perspective. It's fun as well. And also, Kevin chats with me a little bit about comic book history. It is fascinating. It's fun. Please check both of those out. That's 1020 with James Armstrong and number 1022 with Kevin Boyd. Now, something that's going to be happening after Halloween, but it is really kind of Halloween a little bit later. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of an old movie that I love. Something's going to be happening close to Christmas time. Kimmy has information about a certain horror convention that's coming to Orlando. What is happening, Kimmy? Well, it was announced that, um, you know, a nightmare named Matthew has passed. Yes. Now it's time for Spooky Empire to return. Spooky Empire, which was canceled because of the hurricane hurricane matthew it's back in orlando right right? they have rescheduled for december 2nd 3rd and 4th in the orange county convention center in orlando florida so they have rescheduled and um made it happen after many conversations with the convention center hotels agents and staff they have secured the dates and they are going to be ready to go so um this is going to be so awesome. They're still working very hard on getting the guest list together. And they should have some announcements this week for guests. And uh, they're working very hard on booking some of the guests that were scheduled to um, attend on the original dates. When uh, that nasty, nasty storm came by and and just ruined the fun for everybody. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
and um, it's I can't wait. I'm excited. Oh, I can tell. Woo. Kimmy, uh, when I told Kimmy very early in the morning, I, well, actually, even before that, uh, when we sat down for episode 1026, I said there's a very good chance my sources are very strong. They say this is going to happen the first weekend of December, and you were very excited. Yes. That's why yes. we did. I the, was so happy. That's why we did the tease on the previous episode, and that is the, the big deal, of which is happening in Orlando. You can find out more information at SpookyEmpire.com. I suggest following them on Twitter and Facebook because they are very, very social active. They'll keep you updated with the celebrity guests that are being announced. As Kimmy made reference to, they have not announced what celebrities are there yet. Correct, Kimmy? That is correct. All right. And but they're coming very soon, this week. Now, Kimmy, aren't, well, you, not the celebrities. You mean the announcements. The announcements. Okay, okay, it's coming this week. Now, I have to ask the question. Is Kimmy going to Spooky Empire in December? Oh, duh. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you going to wear a Halloween kind of outfit? I'll just, I uh, don't know yet. Are you going to be a Halloween Christmas kind of thing? I don't know. Are you going to be know. like Jack Skellington? going to be kind of crazy there? More combine probably them. like Sally if I do. Oh, but you, so we'll you're, gonna, see. you're gonna combine them. I see what you're gonna do. You're gonna combine the holidays. We'll see. All yeah, right. Maybe. That is happening December, first weekend of December. And you know, big shout out, congratulations to Petey and Gina, the show promoters, for going through with this and bring the spook back to <laughs> the spooky back to Orlando, right? Yeah. And a big uh, shout out also to I know two good friends of ours. I'm almost like 99.9% sure they will be there. Oh, and that, yeah. that is Patty and Eric Waller, the vicious collectibles people, the mm -hmm. ones with the cupcake zombies. I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. They're not living. They're not dead. The hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. I'm gonna eat your brain. Maybe they'll have those cupcake zombies with them, too. Mm -hmm. Who knows, right, Kimmy? I'll yeah, bet. Th those vicious little characters might be there. I don't think you could keep them away from spooky. That's right. So this would be your opportunity to pick up a very unique Christmas gift for somebody, holiday gift, even a New Year's Eve gift. Start a tradition. Go, hey, you know, uh, are you seeing things yet on New Year's Eve? Well, here's a cupcake zombie. Mm -hmm. This will be a perfect type of gift, and I have a feeling they will be bringing the cupcake zombies with them. Uh-huh. So be sure to check out their Facebook page. I believe we have a link to that on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. And once again, be sure to check out Spooky Empire's page, which is SpookyEmpire.com. Who are you? I'm Dr. Strange. Yes, Dr. Strange, just around the corner. I am so excited for this movie because I am well aware of this character. Became a big fan of Dr. Strange when I was stuck in the hospital for over a week as a kid, Kimmy. Mm. And somebody didn't know what to get me. They knew I was into comic books. And fortunately, it was not the goofy relative. And I can say this with pleasure. This is the kind of person, by the way, when they were in their 20s, they were putting plastic on their furniture in their house. Mm. When you visited their house, you stuck to plastic wrappings all over everything. In other words, I didn't really care for this relative. Okay. And, but they, they knew I was into comic books, but they get things like, you know, Richie Rich and stuff like that. You know, they just didn't didn't do it. The other relative, they were thinking. They found, and for some reason, they, I mean, you know, the other stuff I, I like, like Spider-Man and the DC Batman and Superman and things. But they also introduced me to Doctor Strange. They got me a treasury edition, well, actually limited edition because it was Marvel, limited edition size Doctor Strange, was, which was a compilation of his early stuff up to that point and then they got me a bunch of loose issues you know uh you know issues and that's how i discovered dr strange and being the aspiring artist writer that I was 
that stuff was quite psychedelic, especially the early or the late 60s and the early 70s material of Doctor Strange. Loved him. And plus, I was into monsters. You know, so mm. this was like, whoa. You know, this was really cool. But I was like the only kid that knew who Doctor Strange was. So I'm quite excited that Doctor Strange is now gone into the world of mainstream. And mm-hmm. I've been looking forward to this film. I think this is an excellent choice for the person playing the role. Mm-hmm. Um, today, before sitting down, or actually yesterday, before sitting down for the episode of uh, this episode of Riley and Kimmy Show, episode 1027, Marvel released officially the end credit score to the movie. We have that link available right now on our website at the Nerd News section at RileyandKimmy.com. Now, Kimmy, I had you listen to this. We did not cross-talk about this at all. I had you listen to it before we started this episode. What is your review of that theme? Well, it's interesting. It's different from what they usually um, have. It's not as bombastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little spooky, little, you know, new age-ish, little chillish. Now, I've, kind of. I've heard it five times now. Uh-huh. With you was the fifth time. I did not like it at first, to be honest. Okay. By number three, I started grooving to it. Okay. So I like it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, I, I don't know what I was expecting. Now, the person who did this score is the one who did the Star Trek um, the re- the reboot of Star Trek. Mm. It's the person who did that. You can check that out. Make your own choice, your own judgment. You know, it's really hard to really choose an end credit too, as the uh, of the overall feel of the film too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was happy that the end credit wasn't a uh, contemporary song. Mm, yeah. Which some do. Mm-hmm. You know, I I didn't know if they would or would not. I was I thought they wouldn't because they're trying to get into that supernatural uh, element yeah. with it. But it does have it does have eerie to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and it doesn't sound like anything else to me i didn't feel because you know sometimes you example when uh, batman was done years ago danny elfman and i know it's not him i'm pretty sure it is the movie studios went hey can you do that kind of batman kind of thing with this project and it kind of you, you were you're able to identify easily go okay that's elfman's material or another is you know uh williams john williams you go oh i know that's john williams mm-hmm. Boom, instantly this one i i didn't have that that feel to it right so Check that out, Nerd News section, RileyandKimmy.com, and be your own judge of that, right, Kimmy? Uh Uh-huh. Now, Kimmy, something that's happening in the world of nerdum, get ready to go down the yellow brick road and help out. It's the key to Oz. There are magical ways into Oz. This key will turn any locked door into a portal to Oz. You coming or what? To Oz? Yeah, you said you were looking for adventure. Well, here it is, Red. On Monday, the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of American History launched a fundraising campaign, Kimmy. Yes. To restore what is widely considered its most popular artifact. Their, think about that. Their most popular artifact of everything they have there. That most popular artifact is a pair of ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz that they say needs help. Now, the institution is seeking $300,000 by November 16th through a Kickstarter campaign called Keep Them Ruby. Now, more than 300 people so far as we record this have already pledged to donate. Now, four pairs of ruby slippers, or I should say slippers because some of them aren't actually ruby colored, that Judy Garland wore in the 1939 film are known to have survived, plus an additional pair that the actress wore in screen tests. And the Smithsonian acquired its pair, the pair we're talking about, in 1979 from donors whose name the institution has kept private. Now, the museum keeps the pair in a locked case that limits their exposure to light, and it monitors them with cameras 24 hours a day, according to sources. Now, the museum also has the Scarecrow's costume and an original script from the film, 
which refers to the slippers as silver, not ruby, as they were in the film. They were ruby, but in the book, in the books, they were silver. Mm. But they changed that for the film. According to a video for the fundraising campaign, light has caused the slippers to deteriorate. The museum says it would like to stabilize areas of the shoes where threads have come loose, the sole has pulled away, and paint has cracked. Now, besides the Smithsonian pair, which was originally purchased at a 1970 MGM studio auction for $15,000, one on-screen set of ruby slippers now belongs to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, and another belongs to a group of investors and collectors. An anonymous buyer purchased a screen test pair in 2011 from actress Debbie Reynolds. So if you want to help save the ruby slippers, we have a link to that right on our nerd news section of Riley and Kimmy. Dot com. You know, I kind of wonder why uh, MGM Studios doesn't uh, cough up the coin for that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it benefits yeah. them. They still own the copyright to the motion picture. Sure. And that that Ruby Slippers is MGM's, as pointed out there. It was originally silver in the storyline. It would benefit them in a marketing campaign um, because, you know, of Wizard of Oz. And they have rebooted Wizard of Oz. So it is still part of their, their world, if you will. Mm-hmm. I would think it would be nice of them to step up and pay the 300 grand that is necessary to restore those, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah. Give a shout out to MGM. Say, hey guys. Yeah. This is yours, actually. Even though they they sold it at an auction for 15 grand, you know, it's still something. You know, I watched a thing, by the way, on this one show that auctions of pop culture material. I can't remember the name of the show. Really late at night, and it, it was actually a replay. It aired a couple of years ago, and they had a pair of those that they were trying to auction off starting at $2 million. Wow. And they couldn't get it. Okay. And I mean, they started at, I believe they started at 2 million. I know it was mm. over a million they started it at, and they were negotiating on the phone with somebody who wouldn't wouldn't go into that realm. Mm. And then they tried to do it after the deal. They were dealing with a person trying to get close to that 2 million, but it did not happen on that episode. Hmm. Are you interested in donating? No. All right, Kimmy. I guess you won't be going to the nerd news section and mm. clicking on that uh, that link will you mm, all no. right are you at least interested in maybe kimmy i'm just checking here are you interested in possibly playing nerd and pop culture geek trivia well yeah it is an october 19th a wednesday and it's time for nerd and pop culture geek trivia where we ask kimmy some of the most crazy questions you can imagine some of them are quite serious most of them are fun we occasionally throw a really serious one. We try to stay away from geology, geometry, geography, and genealogy. Don't know why that one. And mathematics. Right? Okay. Did, did I forget anything there? No. Okay. Physics, too. Yeah. Including astro. Uh, you know, no astrology or astronomy. I think that's mm. it, right? All right, here we go. It's a Wednesday, October 19th. Be sure to shout out those answers to Kimmy. She might hear them. We might have a, t- a time anomaly. You know, I can say it easily. A time anomaly going on. Mm-hmm. You know, a little vortex. Timey wimey thing. Yeah, timey wimey thing. That's a better way to say it. A little vortex going on that might help her. A little time tunnel thing going on. Yeah, it helped a few days ago. It did. She swears yeah. it did. She said the the words came right to her. Mm-hmm. Somebody was shouting loud into their tablet, phone, or whatever. Here we go, Kimmy. It is Wednesday, October 19th. It was on this date, 1937. Woman's Day was published for the first time. Have you ever seen that magazine? Oh, sure. My mom used to get it. 
Oh, I didn't know it existed even, you know, from 1930. I didn't know how long it lasted. It was mm-hmm. 1937. That's why we didn't ask you a question about that. I should have. See how that is. 1937 also marks the start of a radio program that lasted for a long time. It was called Big Town. And this thing went into film, television, and comic books. It was very successful, a detective-based show. 1937 is when it started. It was 1944. The play I Remember Mama opened on Broadway. The big thing about that is Marlon Brando made his debut with that. That was 1944. Kimmy, pay attention. I know you've probably been snoozing there over that material. Here we go. It was I Will Give You the Year. It's 1959. Patty Duke made the Broadway debut in The Miracle Worker. The play lasted 700 performances. She would eventually play it in film. How old is she when she plays it for the first time on stage? Mm. 15. She was 15 when she did the film. They almost didn't use her because they said she was too old. She was 12 when she did the role Mm. on stage. She almost lost the role because they said she was too old Mm. for the film. But she got it. And then, you know, think about that. She looks quite young even when she does the Patty Duke show, which yeah. is, I believe, 1962 or so. When that comes on, I'd have to, you know, look it up for sure. It was in 1966 that the Yardbirds arrived in New York for their first United States tour. It was on this date, Kimmy, that Smokey Robinson and the Miracles had a song called I Second That Emotion. It was released by them on, on their record label. Tell me the year. Um, 1966. 69. Close. 67 is a year. It was on this date, 1974. The news program Weekend debuted on NBC. It was on this date, a supersonic transport, Kimmy. It was for passengers. Made its first landing in New York City. Do you remember the name of that big plane? As a matter of fact, they even landed it in your at the airport where you grew up in and took celebrities on rides from it because they could not land it in Chicago. I don't know. The Concord, mm. 1977. Yes, we knew some people who rode on that Concord. It was on this date, Kimmy. Prince's second album, Prince, was released. Give me the year. Um, Album two. Let me see. 1981. 1979. Okay. It was on this date, 1983, the United States Senate approved a bill establishing a national holiday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. 1998 marks the date in Washington, D.C. Microsoft went on trial to defend against an antitrust suit. And it was 1998, former heavyweight champion got his boxing license back after he had lost it for biting somebody's ear during a fight. Who got his license back? Mike Tyson. That's correct. Do you remember who he bit? Um, can't do it. Evander? Holyfield. Holyfield. That's right. That's who he I almost bit. said that to you. Yep. 19, 1998 is when he got his license back. Some people didn't think he ever got it back, but he did get it back. Mm-hmm. It was 2003 in London. Magician David Blaine emerged from a clear plastic box that had been suspended by a crane over a river. He survived only on water, supposedly, for 44 days. Blaine had entered the box on September 5th. Mm-hmm. How did he do it? I don't know. He wasn't in that box. I know he wasn't in that box. No. How did he do it? I don't now know. Now that is magic. Mm-hmm. I love illusions like that. Mm-hmm. wonder how he did it. Hmm. He wasn't in that box. Nah. No, there's no way. He wasn't in the box. Nah. Nah. I What's in the box? What's in the box? And it's a clear box. What's in the box? 
works. What kind of projection system did he have in there to pull that uh, off? I don't know. That's yeah, pretty cool. Hmm. All right, moving over to birthdays today, celebrity-wise. Get ready, Kimmy. We're going to be asking you some questions here, but not on the first one. LaWanda Page. Born on this date in history, you're going to say, who is that? Well, LaWanda Page died at the age of 81 in September of 2002, best known for her role as Aunt Esther on the popular 1970s TV show Sanford and Son. Remember her? Mm, yeah. She she wanted to beat Fred down to the ground. Yeah. And she didn't like Fred. Mm-mm. This person having a birthday today. Here is your question, Kimmy. See if you can identify him. He uh, portrayed, you probably don't know this show, but he, some who listen to the Riley and Kimmy show will. He portrayed Kenneth Preston on the popular legal drama The Defenders alongside E.G. Marshall. But he's best known as the father, Mike Brady, on The Brady Bunch, which aired from 1969 to 1974 and then variety specials. Tell me who that actor is. Rex Reed. Wrong. Nope. Not Rex Reed. What am I saying? Um, oh, my gosh. He played in Roots, which uh-huh. is a role he is proud of. All right. Or what? was proud of, I should say. And was on Battlestar Galactica why 1980. I, why did I pull that name? One of those is it's correct. It's close to that, isn't One it? One of those is correct. One of those two is correct that you said. Reed. Okay. Right? Yes. Can't do it. Kimmy, come on. I know. Kimmy, this is not acceptable. Come on. I know. It's Kimmy awful. It. Kimmy, come on. You can do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can do it, Kimmy. Come on. I, I need you to think here. Come on. You can do it. Give <sighs> it a Come on. I can't. Kimmy, you can do it. I know you can do it. Mm-mm. Yes, you can. Give it one more shot. I want you to think here. This might help you. Here's a story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold like their mother. The youngest one It's a story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. All right, the names have flashed across the screen. Who is that? Mm-mm. Florence Henderson played mm-hmm. the mother. Mm-hmm. Carol, who played dad, Mike Brady. Mm, I can. It's Robert Reed. Robert Reed. Yes. Can you tell me what year he passed away? Now, you should be able to do some math because you know I interviewed him right before his death. What year did he pass away? 1992. That is exactly right. May of 1992, he passed away at the age of 59. Hmm. I can't believe how many times you've seen that on the screen. And how many times it's been on me TV when you've walked by. I know it. You supposedly listened to the interview that I did. Well, of course. I, I know who he is. I can't believe this. I just had a, a moment there. Just totally right, gone. Right. Well, we'll, we'll try. We'll, let's see if we can, you know, get you better here, okay? Are, are you ready? Robert Reed. Moving over to another celebrity birthday, Kimmy. Now, he played on Third Rock from the Sun as, as the leader. I guess it would be the best way to describe him. He also played Twilight Zone, the movie, and so many other things. Has a unique voice. Does voiceover work, too. Tell me who that actor is who's having a birthday today. I can see him, too. Oh, no. This is not like Robert Reed, is it? Kimmy. He's been in so much. He's been in tons of things. I'm not even going to pull up his filmography on you here. He has a very unique voice. Give me his first name. John. Lithgow. That's correct. John Lithgow having a birthday. How old is John Lithgow today? 
Um, 72. You are right in the ballpark. 71 today. Congratulations. Okay. I, I hope a show brings him a certain convention or convention. Somebody taps him. I'd love to see John Lithgow mm-hmm. just to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I could hear him read a phone book, too. He's just got that very oh, unique yeah. voice. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, we spoke about this boxer. He had his ear bitten by uh-huh. Mike Tyson. Who is that? He's having a birthday today. Um, Holyfield. That's right. Evander, having a birthday. How old is he today? Um, 50. He is 54. And moving over to, oh, let's see, Benjamin Salisbury having a birthday. You have no idea who that is. He's age 36, best known for playing the role of Brighton Sheffield on the CBS TV show Nanny, the Nanny from 1993 to 1999. Did you ever watch that show? Nope. All right. We'll just move on. Moving over to deaths on this date in history. Gig Young passed away on this date. Actor at the age of 64 passed away October 1978 on this date. Gig Young won the Academy Award for his performance as a slimy dance marathon MC in the 1969 film, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? An alcoholic, Young was implicated in the murder-suicide that resulted in the deaths of his wife and himself in 1978. Moving over to another person who passed away on this date. Tell me who this is, Kimmy. He's an American actor, a singer too, but you don't know him for that. You know him for being an actor. Tell me who he is. He's best known for portraying Howard Cunningham on a certain TV show. Happy Days. He was a singer? He was a singer, too. He's also really? also a voiceover talent, did a ton of cartoons, and a pitch person, did a ton of uh, TV commercials in the 80s and 90s and clear into 2000. Um, what? I can see him. He played on Happy Days, Kimmy, as mm-hmm. Richie's dad. His name would flash oh across the screen. Oh, my God. Did you? something wrong with me. Kimmy. Shout at her more. Come on, give her I give her know. the name. Kimmy, who is he? Give me his first name. Oh, boy. Here we go. Tom. It's Tom. 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 Yeah, Tom. Flashed on the screen. Tom. Mm-hmm. Who is he? It was Tom. It was Tom what? I don't know. Come on, Kimmy. I can't do Tom it. Tom nope. Bosley. Bosley. Yes, Tom. You know, I thought of Bosley, and I'm like, no, I'm thinking of Charlie's Angels. That's not right. Yeah, you, Didn't seem right. Bosley. Oh, <laughs> my angels. Bosley hair. No, yeah, no it's, Bosley. it's not the same guy. It didn't seem right. Tom Bosley passed away in 2010 at the age of 83. So confused tonight. Yes, you are confused. But that's not that's normal, right? Hmm. <laughs> well, see, what the problem is, we, we're doing this episode without a nap. You haven't had that's a nap. That's true. No nap, and Kimmy's just doing the episode. So, see, that's what happens here, without a nap. That's true. Wow. Well, yep. Kimmy, how did how do you think you did horrible? With, you you think you did horrible? Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully you can redeem yourself coming up tomorrow. Okay. There's a lot of people yelling out it, there. That's if we do this on the next episode. I never know. We do it from time to time on various episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show is a daily pop culture escapism show, a variety talk show about nerd stuff, geek stuff. Be sure to tell your friends about us. Links to social media, the best way to stay in touch with us, and also archived episodes available right on our website, which is. RileyandKimmy.com. And right now we're going to celebrate something that is from that almanac, those questions we ask Kimmy. Radio Watch News. Radio. Someone still loves you. And that's a Riley and 
Again, we show anytime we can go back in time to the Golden Age of Radio, otherwise known as Old Time Radio Theater of the Mind. We take that opportunity. We're going to do that right now because on the Almanac, we noted that in 1937, a certain program made its debut. It was called Big Town, made its debut on CBS Radio, starring Edward G. Robinson. Big Town was a reporter-type crime drama series that aired from 1937 to 1952. Very popular. It told the story of Steve Wilson and his search for truth and justice, in its 15-year run, the show was able to attract as much as 20 million listeners, making it one of the best crime drama series ever heard on radio. Now, due to that success, it found its way to television. To movies, there were four films, and comic book adaptations were made, and all of them were very successful. We're going back in time right now to the very first episode that ever aired. 1937's A Date, starring Edward G. Robinson, and I decided to include episode two with it, uninterrupted. This is ear candy. Be forgiving. It was recorded with technology nothing like today, nothing like the last 25 years. All analog and very crude how they had to record these. They did not have analog tape. So let's go back in time to the theater of mind. 1937 is a date. Big Town. Here's episode one, starring Edward G. Robinson on The Riley and Kimmy Show. Hollywood, California, the makers of Rinseau, America's biggest-selling package soap, present Edward G. Robinson with Fair Trevor in a series of powerful dramatic half-hours entitled Big Town. Big Town is neither New York, Chicago, St. Louis, or San Francisco. It is a fictitious city, and all the characters in Big Town are fictitious. Any resemblance of name or place is purely coincidental. But the people in Big Town are the same as the people in every large city. They are real, live, vital human beings with the inevitable problems of life, health, and happiness. They have their moments of... Sorrow. Joy. Hate. Love. Failure. Success. Tears. Laughter. Fear. Hope. Listen, listen. It's Big Town. portray the leading characters in our story, Big Town, we have chosen Edward G. Robinson with Claire Trevor. Edward G. Robinson plays the part of Steve Wilson, the managing editor of the Illustrated Press. Claire Trevor plays the part of the society editor, who writes under the name of Lorelei. We feel that we could not have made a better choice in the selection of competent artists to play these characters. Edward G. Robinson's talent and personality, fondly remembered by theater goers, won for him enviable fame in numerous stage plays. And the robust characters he brought to life on the screen in Little Caesar, Five Star Final, and Kid Galahad placed him in the very first rank of motion picture stars. Claire Trevor, because of her magnificent performances in Maiden Lane, To Marry with Love, and Dead End, is considered one of the most promising motion picture actresses of the day. And now, for the first time, Edward G. Robinson and Claire Trevor combine their histrionic experience in a radio vehicle that is worthy of their talent. This dramatic serial, which we hope you will follow with keen interest and keen enjoyment, is presented by the makers of the new 1937 Rinso, America's biggest-selling package soap. And appropriately so, because Rinso plays a dramatic part in millions of American homes. Rinso has the leading role wherever dirt is the menace. And Rinso can be depended upon to give a happy ending to the housewife's most discouraging chores. 
washing dishes, and washing clothes. Even when battling great odds, such as water hard as nails, Rinso never fails to triumph. And best of all, though Rinso is cruel to dirt, it is kind to colors and gentle to your hands, never making them red or rough-looking. That is why, for clothes, dishes, and all household cleaning, Rinso is the headliner. Now our story begins. The Illustrated Press is the biggest newspaper of big town. A hustling, bustling, scurrying, hurrying, dashing, slashing madhouse where everyone works at top speed, driven by the sharp tongue of its merciless managing editor, Steve Wilson. Our scene is the newspaper offices of the Illustrated Press. Finish your story, Nick? Just about. Hope the boss likes it. Don't worry, he won't. <laughs> gotten through to Chicago yet? No, the wire's dead. Well, keep calling. Keep hammering that bug. If you don't get through, the boss will fire you. Hey, you plate guys, we've got to make a remake on that front page. Can't stop now. The boss wants the front page pulled back and that settles it. In his office, away from the noise and clatter of the city room, we find our managing editor, Steve Wilson, affectionately known as the boss of the Illustrated Press. With him is Stanley Peabody, the paper's publisher and major stockholder. Steve Wilson, our circulation jumped 25% last week. My congratulations on that college suicide story. Never mind the congratulations, Mr. Peabody. Getting circulation is my job. That's fine, Steve, but you do more than your job. That's because I'm afraid to be idle. My conscience might catch up with me. Conscience? Yes, conscience. You know, that little something that creeps up on you in the dark. Or do you take sedatives? You ought to take a rest. Sure. From you in this newspaper. You know very well, Peabody, if I hadn't on the North Pole, you'd have me dig up a story on Perry and some Eskimo debutante to build up circulation. You're being unfair. <laughs> That's a laugh. How can anybody be unfair to you? You start with two strikes against you. Frankly, I don't know what ails you. You ail me. You and your sanctimonious attitudes. You and your petty larceny morals. Now, get out of here. I've got a dirty job to do, and it's costing you money. Come in. Oh, it's you, Lorelei. I want to see you. I'll see you at one o'clock. Okay. Now, look here, Lorelei. What kind of a story is this that you brought in on Mrs. Ratchmith? Well, Steve, I told our readers what I thought they'd like to know. Eureka! A Daniel come to the fourth estate. Ring the bells in the church steeple. At last, I found somebody who knows what the readers want to know. What decent readers want to know? Curly locks, there are no decent or indecent readers of a paper. They're all indecent. Newspaper readers want news. They want to tear down the walls around other people's lives. They want to turn the bedroom upside down looking for blessed events. They want the lowdown. They want the dirt. They want the news. You'll have to get yourself a new girl, Steve. Eavesdropping on the dirt, as you call it, is not for my appetite. I'm not a scavenger. I'm a newspaper woman. Well, the most important job you have is to tell Mrs. O'Grady, not the colonel's lady, how the other half lives. But why should Mrs. O'Grady be interested in... Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because Mrs. O'Grady, on a Monday morning, wants to feel that virtue is its own reward, even if it's not. She wants to feel so much better than Mrs. Van Rensselaer, who's nursing a headache from the night before. She wants... Oh, why do I go on like this? Because you like it. Because it makes you feel as if you were running the universe. Well, as a matter of fact, you're not. You're not even running your paper. It's running you. What's the matter with my story? I'll show you what's the matter with it. Here, listen to it. Mrs. Leland Ratsmith of Alaska, San Francisco, and New York, socialite, announces the engagement of her daughter, Patricia, to Richard C. Huntley, son of the president of the Huntley Bank. It's a simple announcement of an engagement. Yes, but you missed a great story in that simple engagement piece. Now, wait a minute. Hello? 
Uh, uh, hello, Miss Foster. Yes, Mr. Wilson. Uh, get me Charlie Blake in the morgue. I'll show you the real story. Mm, someone's going to get hurt. Yes, but you'll find it in the news. Hello, boss. You wanted me? Uh, Charlie, uh, get me all the clips you can find on Pittsburgh Lill of Nome, Alaska. Yeah. And uh, Mrs. Leland Radsmith of San Francisco, New York. Got that? Yeah, I think it's up right away. Good. Pittsburgh Lill, Mrs. Radsmith. What has Pittsburgh Lill to do with Mrs. Radsmith? Nor lie. When you first came to me out of social work, you promised that you would get news. The lowdown. Society news. Yes, but I didn't promise to take innocent people and hold up their lives to ridicule, to shame, to satisfy readers whose only interest is the misfortune of others. A good speech. Oh. Yes, for a social worker, but a bad one for a reporter. Cut it down, you might have something there. Okay, I'll give it to the rewrite man. What? Oh, come in, Charlie. I got those clips out of the morgue for you. Oh, good. Let's see him, Charlie. Bring him over here. Here we are. I'm going to show Lorelei the pretty pictures. <laughs> Anything else, boss? No? Right. Now, Lorelei... We're through with Goldilocks and the Three Bears. We're down to news. Here. See this little picture of the dame in a star-spangled dress? Sweet, nice, and demure? Yes. Well, that's Pittsburgh Lil, once known from Nome to the Barbary Coast as the most notorious proprietress of creep joints, Chinese fantan emporiums, saloons, and other delicacies calculated to amuse and entertain the suckers. Why? That looks like Mrs... You're right. It's Mrs. Leland Rasmith, who this day announces in your elegant column this simple engagement of her charming daughter to Mr. Huntley, son of San Francisco's wealthiest family. Well, what else could I say? What else? <laughs> what else? <laughs> now, wait a minute. Here. Here. Here, look at this picture. See what this is? It's a patrol wagon. Yeah. See who's leading those girls into that wagon? Mrs. Rasmith, yes. all right. Well, I'll read you the clip. The notorious Pittsburgh Lil this day... You want me to write these things about Mrs. Radsmith? You want me to dig up the past of a woman who's long ago lived down her days in Nome, who's a respectable, kindly woman? I want the news, and that's news. Oh, that's murder. Is the daughter of Mrs. Radsmith responsible for her mother's past? Do you know what you're doing? You're taking a young, innocent girl on the threshold of her greatest happiness and breaking her heart. That's not news. That's the greatest news in the whole world. It's the kind of news that'll get circulation, plenty of circulation, and that will get advertising. Mr. Peabody will be pleased as he counts the money for paid space. Mr. Peabody. Yes, Mr. Peabody, your benefactor and mine. Your pal who gives you his check every day for services rendered. The little tin guard of the Illustrated Press, the big ball. You'll get a bonus. I tell you, it's the hottest story in town, and you can get it, Lorelei. So this is what they call the noble profession of journalism. Yeah. The fourth estate. Noble, my foot. <laughs> Steve, you let this paper seduce you. Oh, Lorelei. There are still signs about you of what once must have been a nice person. Really? But you've buried it on that dirt. You like to call it news. Of course. But all you do is make people unhappy, drive them to suicide, spread hate. But there's God's compensation. You don't escape, Steve. Slowly, it's destroying you. There'll come a time when you'll have to reach up to touch bottom. I'm ashamed of myself, and I'm ashamed of you. Well, I'm too old to be ashamed and too hungry to be an idealist. Lorelei, I've offered you a great opportunity, one I would have been glad to take. I'm going to show you the news the way it should be written. Hot, burning, sizzling. Yes. The stuff that makes the readers plunk down their pennies and yell for more editions. Oh. From Honky Tonk in Alaska to Penthouse in Park Avenue. No. Now, there's a headline for you that'll make them buy the Illustrated Press. I told you this was an opportunity. Well, it's too big for you, sister. It's my side. You're going to cover it? I'm going right to Pittsburgh, Lil. I haven't had my teeth in a first-class story in five years. Here comes Steve Wilson to the rescue. For God, for country, and for the Illustrated Press.
Brad Smith. Mr. Wilson is waiting in the library to see you. I'll be right down. Mr. Wilson? Well, an excellent memory, Lil. What do I owe this unexpected raid? Raid? Well, what do you call it? A visit. Just a visit for old Langsine. What are you doing these days, Steve? Still snooping? Aha, uh-huh. harsh word, Lil. Harsh word. You never deserved any orchids. Ah, but you do. Tempest fugit. Time flies, but treats women very kindly. <laughs> it's the same Steve I knew and know. The same technique with the ladies. Now, wait a minute. Now, don't tell me that I haven't learned anything in all this time. Oh, I wouldn't be that uncomplimentary, Steve. You've learned a great deal. You've learned how to turn garbage into print at a great profit. <laughs> now, is that the way to treat an old friend? You're about as friendly as a rattlesnake. What? Yes, or should I apologize for the rattlesnake? At least he gives his victims warning. He rattles. Ah, now you're being very unkind. I'm just a poor newspaper man trying to get along, Mrs. Ratsmith. Pittsburgh Lil to you. And I know what you came here for. Clairvoyant. Yes, I had a feeling you'd show up. Now, I don't want to waste any time, Steve. If you print a word about my past or anything which will interfere with my girl's happiness, I'll kill you. Thanks. Say, I'll spread that all over my paper. You've been digging dirt for a long time. Why, in Nome, you're always the first to stick your nose into a garbage can. You're right, but I came out with a story. Sure. So that nobody in Alaska would talk to you. Not even your readers. Yes, but they called me a great newspaper man. They called you a sneak, a spy, a double-crosser. I saved your neck more than once, and you hide, too. Well, thanks, Leo. You're welcome. But the killing still goes. Listen, Steve. Patricia's the only thing that I've got out of all my knocking around and being kicked around. It was for her that I turned my life inside out. Why do you think I like sitting around at tea parties with a lot of women with fallen arches talking about their husbands as though they were plaster saints? See, now look here. Will you will you write that story, Lil? I'll make a bargain. Get out, Steve. Get out. There's no bargain. You came here for news and I gave it to you. I've got it. Managing editor of the Illustrated Press, Steve Wilson, dies getting the news. What a head. What a head. Yes. And here's another head for your tombstone. Where there's dirt, there's Wilson. <laughs> Turn now to Big Town. Big Town throbbing with life. Hordes of workers emerging from stores, factories, and office buildings. Hurrying to streetcars, elevators, and subways. Eager to get home to husbands, wives, and children. Yet stopping for the evening's paper. The subject of after-dinner gossip. X-ray, X-ray, read all about Pittsburgh Lil. Mrs. Rasmus exposed at Pittsburgh Lil. X-ray, Pittsburgh Lil comes to life as Mrs. Okay, laugh it off. But she's coming here to kill you. Well, then make the head read, uh, 
Managing editor killed for publishing the news. <laughs> oh, and wait. Here, Lorelei. Here's a first-class picture of the prospective corpse. With love and kisses. It looks better on the piano than it will in print. I take it. It's an exclusive. The respectable housewives on 10th Avenue will eat it up. Oh, uh, arrange with Hunter to have two photographers at my funeral. I want to be caught coming and going. Well, if your funeral is a success, I'll get you a full page in the Rotogravure. Will you, Lorelei? Sure. Steve Wilson at the age of two. Yes, when he still was young and innocent. And Steve Wilson being confirmed. When he had faith. In himself. Steve God. Wilson at college. Steve Wilson at his desk in the old Herald. Steve Wilson in Nome, Alaska. Notice the look of departing innocence. That look? Yes. That isn't innocence departing. That's the smell of my first big story entering my nostrils. Oh, Steve, you're impossible. I hate possible people. Yes, but what you don't seem to realize is that a life is more important than a front-page story, even if it is yours. Thanks. But I doubt if a dull life is more important than an exciting story. I believe you really mean that. You'd rather spread pictures of a killing on your front page, get more and more morons to read the sheet and bolster up your circulation than, than save a life. Now, Lorelei, stop preaching, will you? The hottest story in America is on the street. Now, I want another lead story. Uh, <sighs> tell of the great mother love Mrs. Ratsmith has for her daughter. A love that may lead to murder. Milk a dry. It's disgusting. Goodbye, Mr. Wilson. Yeah, no, no, no. Wait a minute, please. Come back here now. Tell me. What uh, makes you go on these soul-saving tours every once in a while? Well, you can't see a man you have some respect for turn mean and cheap before your very eyes and do nothing about it. Well, resigning wouldn't help me. Well, I'm afraid if I don't, something might happen to me. <laughs> oh, nothing will ever happen to you, Lorelei. Girls like you don't run for the fire escape at the first alarm. You're a newspaper woman. You love getting the news. Yes, but not dirt. No, but getting it, writing it. It grips you like... Some kinds of sinning. Yeah, it's a great speech, boss. With a little fixing, I could do a yarn on that. Now don't tell me you've got a hot thought. Sure, last words of Editor Wilson. I'd like to write your obituary while you still can edit it. Good. Look, you can use the typewriter in my study. Oh, allow me to show you to the door. Thank you. And uh, don't forget to leave room for my picture. In my heart, kind sir. Cheerio. <laughs> Pardon, Mr. Wilson. I always don't like to interrupt you when you play so beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Minna. Beethoven mind your interruption less than my play. What is it? I must have tonight off, if you please. Oh, boyfriend get into town? <laughs> no, I have not boyfriend, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> I have my art. Oh, and great, too. <laughs> Queen of my heart and stomach. You know, that pickle tongue was something to write about. Mmm. Say, that's an idea. I'll give it to the recipe department. Mr. Wilson, my art is not cooking. It no? is the theater. Theater? I play for the Scandinavian Domestic Dramatic Athletic Club, the Doll's House. Now, wait a minute, Mina. Say that again. I say I play for the Scandinavian Domestic Dramatic Athletic Club, the Doll's House. And don't tell me you play... Ah, 
I played it all. Jerusalem, I've been hiding a douze in my kitchen. I would like to go right away. I, I must rehearse it. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Come back here, Minna. Look here. How, how would you like to try a little bit of it on me, hmm? You like Ibsen? Like Ibsen? Say, I'll accompany you on the piano with Gree. Uh, you know uh, where she is going to leave her husband? Sure. Uh, you remember where she tells him she has lived with him for 15 years? That's right. And she don't even know him. Mm -hmm. Then she cries. Oh, well, oh, well, yeah. because then it dawned on me that for eight years I have been living here with a strange man and had borne him three children. Oh, I can't bear to think of it. I could tear myself from the bed. Bravo, bravo. That's great, madam. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, darling, how, how would you like to have your picture alongside of Rita Garbo's in the Sunday paper? Rita Garbo? Mm -hmm. I go answer the bell. Oh, someone is always interrupting, genius. And then I must put on my costume for the play. <laughs> is somebody coming? Oh, yes. A uh, Mrs. Ratsmith. Sure in here. Hello, uh, operator. Uh, give me spring, 6789. Mrs. Wilson, uh, give me the dramatic department. Hello, Dudley. Say, I, I want you to cover the Scandinavian domestic dramatic and athletic club play. Sure, it's an opening. Who's in it? Why, the great Minna. What? Oh, the Seba show. Well, you can already see that. Say, this is a story of a lifetime. All the Swedish servants doing Ibsen. Well, it's human interest with a capital U. Oh, let Sammy review the Seba show. Sure, he's an office boy. That's why I do the Seba justice. Yeah, well, give him a byline. Let me see. Call it uh, Mr. Moskowitz, ghost to the show. Uh, goodbye. I've uh, got company. Good evening, Mrs. Rashmith. Pittsburgh Lil to you. <laughs> well, what's in the name? You ought to know. That's your slogan. Names. Publish names. No matter where it falls and whom it hurts. Names. Well, think of your own right name. Or not the one they call you. The one you were baptized with. I'm going to kill you. Now, wait. Not with that pistol. Small and pearly and delicate. Oh, that's feminine. You know, I always thought of dying with a grand gesture. You know, Lil, sort of rustler or bandit fashion, spurs and... Oh, yes, you know, my yellow boots on, looking into the muzzle of a forty-four. Oh, Lil, how can you do me like that? A, a teeny-weeny pistol, a fine end for a growing boy. This one shoots, Wilson. You're not going to talk me out of this. Oh, don't I know it. Then maybe you know that you deserve it. I'm beginning to realize it. It's too late to begin. And here I believe it was never too late to mend. It's too late to recall the shouting newsboys. It's too late to mend the hurt you've done two young innocent people whose hearts you broke because of your dirty sheet. Now, a paper lives by its circulation, Mrs. Rasmith. And by the gentlemen of the press who gather the dirt. And how many homes it can wreck and how many lives it can make miserable. Well, the public must have its food for talk. It's scandal. Even if you have to kill somebody to give it to them. Oh, we haven't stooped that low. Lower. Why, you commit murder every day. But you never stand trial for it. The real murderer takes his chances with the electric chair. Why, he's a sport compared to you. He takes a chance. Oh, I've taken chances, too. Now, for instance, right now, with you and that gun, with a nervous finger toying with the trigger. May I do the editing? Of with... course. Pulling the trigger. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you've done it, Lil. What happened? Someone shot Mr. Wilson. You're bleeding, Steve. Let me see. You killed Mr. Wilson. You killed Mr. Wilson. Oh, he's dead. Mr. Wilson is dead. Not quite. Steve, are you all right? Oh, 
Sure. She was she was out of practice. Let's call it all a mistake, Lil. You could have avoided that, Steve. Oh no. I I never avoid anything. Not even my own funeral. Miss Lorelei, if you should want me, Mr. Wilson knows my address. Steve. I'll call a doctor. Oh no, that's that's the second thing to think about. First call the city desk. No, Minna, get an ambulance. No, no, no. You you would think of that. What? Get an ambulance with every reporter training on it and lose this exclusive story for the sheet? What would Peabody say? Operator, spring 6789. I'm so sorry, Mr. Wilson. Well, I, I'm sorry, too, Minna, to make you disappoint your audience. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Wilson. I'm glad she didn't kill you. Hello, city desk. Lorelei talking. Re- repeat after me. Steve Wilson, managing editor of the Illustrated Press, was shot today. Steve Wilson, managing editor of the Illustrated Press, was shot today. By a mysterious stranger who disappeared. By a mysterious stranger who disappeared. After the shooting. After the shooting. What about her name, Steve? Oh, no. No names. Just a mysterious stranger. No names. There wasn't a name between very good friends. Courage, Lorelei, should never go unappreciated. The lady called on personal business. My affairs are not fit reading for our circulation. That's all, city desk. I go get the doctor. Oh, no, 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 Mina. You, you, you cut your arm. Steve Wilson, you're impossible. I hate possible people. They're always doing the thing you, you expect them to do. Well, that's a relief at times. You can at least find them without a bullet wound in their arm. You think it will leave a scar? Ah, uh, don't worry. Not where anybody can see it. Just me? Yes, just you. Good. And maybe it will serve to remind me that some things are better left unprinted. That's learning things the hard way. Maybe. Lorelei, I hope you will always treasure that photograph I gave you, just in case. I will. I'll file it. Oh, no. It's yours now. With love and kisses, be a memory book. Exclusive. Exclusive. the curtain on the first episode of Big Town, starring Edward G. Robinson with Claire Trevor. Included in our cast were Paula Winslow as Pittsburgh Lil, Bodil Ann Rosing as Minna, Hanley Stafford as Stanley Peabody, and Bill Wright as Charlie. At this same time, Edward G. Robinson with Claire Trevor brings us the second episode in the series of powerful dramatic half-hours entitled Big Town. The scene of our story is the offices of the Illustrated Press, a boiling cauldron of activity, a bedlam of noises, 
everyone upon his toes, rushing, hurrying, rumbling, grunting, shouting, swearing, trying to keep up the mad pace set by Steve Wilson, the managing editor. Professor Gardner has just been awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Give it a paragraph and stick it on ten. Peggy Sheridan, a chorus girl, just won a beauty contest at Coney Island. Make it two columns and spread it on the front page. The guy outside with pictures of a couple of Rembrandts just found in Holland. Not interested. There's another guy outside with a new comic strip for kids. Oh, send it right in. Okay. What are you doing for Sunday feature? How about a two-page spread on famous inventors? Too tame. Make it famous gangsters. Right-o. In the office of Mr. Peabody, the publisher and major stockholder of the Illustrated Press, we find Mr. Peabody and Steve Wilson, the managing editor, in a heated argument about a libel suit instituted by William B. Harding because of an article Lorelei wrote in the Illustrated Press condemning Harding's factory building as a fire trap. Peabody, that quick double across uh, you gave Lorelei is going to cost you just exactly 100 grand. Now, you listen to me, Steve. If this paper does go bankrupt paying libel judgments, it's your fault. Sure. I expected that. Peabody, you wouldn't stand up at your own hanging unless you were supported. But this time, you're lost. I'll fire Lorelei and... Sure, you'll fire her. Good riddance. But you'll fire me, too. Peabody, stock in the Illustrated Press is transferable. I'm going to make Joe Donahue, the bartender at Parry's, your partner. He's the greatest mixer of cheap jags in town. Cheap jags? Yes, cheap jags. Peabody, you gave Lorelei the lead on that story because you knew she would eat it up. And when she saw that Harding's factory was a fire trap, she exposed it because it's the sort of thing she likes. I'm not running a mutual admiration society. I'm running a newspaper. Uh, we're running a dirt sheet, and you know it. You knew Lorelei wouldn't dig out the real facts back of that story on the Harding factory fire violation. She thought you were on the level. I am. Yeah, so was Dillinger. Now, be careful. You can't afford to lose a job. Well, you know what you can do with your job. Now, try to be calm, Steve. It's all very simple. We fire the girl Lorelei, and Harding withdraws his license. Yes, we fire you, and I may have a chance for a seat, at least in the last row of St. Peter's Auditorium. I think you're getting unduly excited, Steve. Oh, no, I'm not excited. If you must know, I'm... I'm slowly going mad. Take it easy, Steve. Take it easy. I don't want you getting a nervous breakdown. Oh, don't worry. I'll probably go on writing these shame columns until Beelzebub calls his chief disciple Steve Wilson home. You know why? <laughs> because you're a newspaper man, Steve. <laughs> a newspaper man, my foot. I'll tell you why. Because you were smart enough to declare me in on the profits of your cheap, body paper. We've been doing very well, Steve. Thank God. And thank you. Oh, don't thank God and don't thank me. Thank the things that are able to take a man and turn him upside down and inside out. Thank those perverse appetites that are able to make a human being feast like a vulture on the ills and misfortunes of his fellow men. Why oh, wouldn't say such things, Steve? No, you wouldn't. You've learned how to calm your conscience into accepting lies and suicides and hatred as normal. Now listen, Peabody, you stay away from my side of this racket. And especially Miss Lorelei. You double-crossed her. Now, wait a minute, Someday Steve. I'm going to give the Peabody closet such a shaking up that the rattling of those skeletons will be heard in every corner of the globe. Now, remember that, Peabody. You taught me how to sling dirt, and now my marksmanship is perfect. Oh, I can't stand this room any longer. I'm going back to... Oh, Mr. Wilson? Yes, Miss Foster? It's Lorelei waiting to see you in your office. Oh, thank you. I'll go right in. Hello, Lorelei. I'm sorry I kept you waiting. Just been talking to St. Peabody. Oh, that's all right. But I'm going to get right down to business. 
Lorelei, you're a fool. Well, that's a pretty business. I didn't know you were a psychoanalyst. Well, Peabody made a sucker out of you. Well, he's been making a sucker out of you for a good many years. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with the spot you find yourself in. I know. Peabody told me the happy news that I'll cross the paper $100,000 in a libel suit because of that article I wrote on Harding's factory. Well, Peabody was born a liar, is a liar, and will lie on judgment day. Harding is out to get Peabody. That's why Peabody gave you the lead on that story. I wrote it on Peabody's facts. Yes, I know you did. Oh, and a great yarn, too. <laughs> yes, ma'am, you made that piece sizzle. Congratulations. For getting into a libel suit? Oh, no, for getting the news. You wrote the best piece the big town has read in a long time. Well, it isn't worth, worth $100,000. Oh, sure it is. That was a great head, Lorelei. Mr. Harding's Inferno. <laughs> a great head for describing the factory Harding owns. Mr. Harding's Inferno. You know, I like that. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I like that. Well, Harding doesn't. Now, look, Lorelei. Let me give you the lowdown on the Peabody-Harding feud. They know each other? Certainly. Peabody hates Harding because Harding is no phony. He's on the level. They meet on charity boards and church councils. Peabody is always trying to sell real estate to some charitable institution at five times what it's worth. Harding is always trying to stop him, and does. The hypocrite. It's Peabody who should be exposed by the Illustrated Press, not Harding. Oh, and leave ourselves open for the DA's office to clamp down on the paper? That factory is the worst fire trap that I... Sure, Lorelei, sure. It's Inferno with a capital N. It's the devil's oven. And it was conceived and built and executed by a Peabody. Not by... No, no, no. Not by our benefactor, St. Peabody, the public-spirited owner of the Illustrated Press, but by a son-in-law. Harding owns nothing. He's a stockholder in the bank and holds a mortgage on the factory. He's innocent. Well, I took Peabody's word for it that Harding was guilty. Well, you'll know better next time. You'll know that Peabody has no word, no honor, no friends. No, not even worms waiting for him at the end of the journey. He can buy men and women to carry out his filthy schemes. Yes, you're right. He can buy me to do his dirty work for him. Well, he can't buy me. <laughs> An excellent bit of heroics, but uh, futile. You can't quit. Why can't I? Because you'll be double-crossing double me. Now, I need you, Lorelei, now more than ever. If you quit, Peabody will offer you up to Harding as a sacrifice. Sacrifice? Sure. He'll paint you as a, as a scatterbrained society girl, a sweet-scented lady bountiful who came out of society to interfere with the smooth course of journalism. He'll tell everyone he fired you. But I quit. Sure you did. But he won't tell that to Harding. How can you stand such a man all these years? I can't. And I can't give up the luxuries I don't need, but have trained myself to enjoy. Vicious habit. Why don't you tell him what you think of him? I did, Lorelei, I did. And every time I tell him what I think of him, I burn a candle for myself. And now, Lorelei, if you promise to stick, I'll go up and tell Mr. Peabody, symbol of cockeyed justice, just what I think of him. Oh, you mean his lawyer, Mr. Salsa? Yes, Mr. Salsa. Will you promise to stick? I promise. Okay, I'm on my way. Good morning. Is Mr. Salter in his office? Yes, Mr. Salter. Right now. Hello, Steve. How's the mighty editor? Come on, cut it out, Salter. You've got a job to do and a very important one. Get us out of this Harding libel suit or you'll be minus a scalp. But we haven't a leg to stand on, Mr. Wilson. We libel the man. Say, whose lawyer are you, Salter? Ours are Harding's. Come on, get us out of this. I can't. Listen, Salter. I had a nice editorial all ready to print in the Illustrated Press as the start of a campaign to make you a judge. To tell how able a lawyer you are and what a fine, upright judge you'd make. Peabody's already talked to the boss downtown. 
You were all set to spend the rest of your life in judicial cold storage. But now all bets are off. You understand? All bets are off. Well, can I help it that Mr. Harding has led a clean life? He's a respectable... Respectable. Respectable is a relative term. There must be a slip somewhere. Yeah, but he's never slipped. Well, then he must be uh, a horrible bore to someone. Someone must be sick and tired of him. How does his wife stand him? She loves him. Yes, I know, but that doesn't mean that she stands him. Oh, besides, that's out of your department. That's uh, Mrs. Corbett's department, Advice of Lonely Hearts. That gives me an idea. I'll use your phone. This will only take a minute. Lonely Hearts Department? Steve Wilson talking. Uh, tell Mrs. Corbett to go to my office as soon as she can and wait for me. Tell me, Salsa. Was there ever a divorce in the Harding family? My office investigated that angle thoroughly. There are no divorces. Well, then we'll make one. Make one? Yes. Manufacture one. Create one, you know, fix one. How? Well, that's your business, my upright judge, not mine. You know the ingredients. But look here. Well, look here, nothing. Now, send me your best investigators. No detectives. You know, investigators. There's a difference. One finds news and the other gets it. I understand. Good day. Hello, Arnold. Liked your column last night. Oh, thanks, boss. How about a raise? Got a new kid, the cutest little kid. Oh, congratulations, Arnold. I'll send it through for you. Gee, that's great. Oh, and by the way, come into my office, will you? I want to talk to you. Okay. Now, Arnold, I'm going to make this short. I heard that the Hardings... You know, William B. and his wife are having tough sledding. You mean the socialite Hardings? Yes. Say, boss, that's so hot you can start a fire at the store club with it. <laughs> I'll spread this one, boy, and we'll Peabody like now, it. Now, now, take it easy, take it easy. I, I don't want a big story, Arnold. It isn't worth it. Just an interesting line, something like this. Uh, is it true that the Hardings, socialites, are throwing sticks and stones at each other and are about to renovate it? Then end it like this, uh, uh, too bad. Nice people shouldn't do such things. Thanks, boss. <laughs> that saved me writing it. Well, goodbye, Arnold, and I won't forget that baby needs a pair of shoes. You'll find it in the pay envelope. Thanks, boss. And throw in a bottle of scotch, just in case baby catches cold. <laughs> Hello? Miss Foster. Yes, Mr. Wilson? Uh, get me Charlie in the morgue. And tell him I want all the clips on the William B. Hardy. Yes, sir. Right away. Come in. Yes. Your uh, lonely heart space, Mrs. Corbett, has been very interesting. Thank you. May I make a suggestion? Always received gratefully from you, Mr. Wilson. I want you to get me a picture and a story, a signed story, by Mrs. William B. Harding, president of Help a Neighbor Society, a story on divorce. Of course, Mr. Wilson. I know Mrs. Harding very well. Yes? She's always glad to cooperate with the Illustrated Press. Well, now, that's fine. I wanted to cover particularly the relationship of stenographers to their employers as a reason for divorce. Yes. Mrs. Harding's opinion on domestic affairs is very important. It should make a very interesting article, Mr. Wilson. Come in. Oh, it's you. Now, come in, boys. Come Hi, in. Mr. Wilson. Uh, well, good day, Mr. Corbett. Good day, Mr. Wilson. Sit down. Sit down, Collins. Ah, uh, thanks. Um, I want you to meet Kelly here. Oh, hello, Kelly. Hello. How do you feel, Mr. Wilson? Oh, fine, fine. Say, I haven't seen you since the Miller case. <laughs> you did a very good job then. Uh, I just got the evidence. Uh, you certainly did. Found it lying around when no one else could find it. Is uh, this the same setup, boss? You know William B. Harding? The banker, the society guy? Yes. He wants $100,000 from the poor illustrated press. Why, the robber. A libel suit, huh? Exactly. 
do we get the usual bonuses for the right evidence if he calls it off? Oh, double, Collins. Double bonus. What's the matter with him? Well, it seems that Mrs. Harding wants some grounds for divorce. We'll accommodate the lady. How long do you think it'll take? Uh, about two weeks. Two weeks. We'll tear down in two weeks what it took Harding 30 years to build up. Thanks, boys, and good luck. Mr. Peabody, like the British Navy, expects every man to do his duty. That brings down the curtain on the first part of tonight's episode of Big Town, starring Edward G. Robinson with Claire Trevor. The scene of our story is the offices of the Illustrated Press. A boiling cauldron of activity, a bedlam of noises. Everyone upon his toes, rushing, hurrying, grumbling, grunting, shouting, swearing, trying to keep up the mad pace set by Steve Wilson, the managing editor. Professor Gardner has just been awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Give it a paragraph and stick it on ten. Peggy Sheridan, a chorus girl, just won a beauty contest at Coney Island. Make it two columns and spread it on the front page. The guy outside with pictures of a couple of Rembrandts just found in Holland. Not interested. There's another guy outside with a new comic strip for kids. Oh, send him right in. Okay. What are you doing for Sunday feature? How about a two-page spread on famous inventors? Too tame. Make it famous gangsters. Righto. In the office of Mr. Peabody, the publisher and major stockholder of the Illustrated Press, we find Mr. Peabody and Steve Wilson, the managing editor, in a heated argument about a libel suit instituted by William B. Harding because of an article Lorelei wrote in the Illustrated Press condemning Harding's factory building as a fire trap. Peabody, that quick double across uh, you gave Lorelei is going to cost you just exactly 100 grand. Now, you listen to me, Steve. If this paper does go bankrupt paying libel judgments, it's your fault. Sure. I expected that. Peabody, you wouldn't stand up at your own hanging unless you were supported. But this time, you're lost. I'll fire Lorelei and... Sure, you'll fire her. Good riddance. But you'll fire me, too. Peabody, stock in the Illustrated Press is transferable. I'm going to make Joe Donahue, the bartender at Parry's, your partner. He's the greatest mixer of cheap jags in town. Cheap jags? Yes, cheap jags. Peabody, you gave Lorelei the lead on that story because you knew she would eat it up. And when she saw that Harding's factory was a fire trap, she exposed it because it's the sort of thing she likes. I'm not running a mutual admiration society. I'm running a newspaper. Uh, we're running a dirt sheet, and you know it. You knew Lorelei wouldn't dig out the real facts back of that story on the Harding factory fire violation. She thought you were on the level. I am. Yeah, so was Dillinger. Now, be careful. You can't afford to lose a job. Well, you know what you can do with your job. Now, try to be calm, Steve. It's all very simple. We fire the girl Lorelei, and Harding withdraws his license. Yes, we fire you, and I may have a chance for a seat, at least in the last row of St. Peter's Auditorium. I think you're getting unduly excited, Steve. Oh, no, I'm not excited. If you must know, I'm... I'm slowly going mad. Take it easy, Steve. Take it easy. I don't want you getting a nervous breakdown. Oh, don't worry. I'll probably go on writing these shame columns until Beelzebub calls his chief disciple Steve Wilson home. You know why? <laughs> because you're a newspaper man, Steve. <laughs> a newspaper man, my foot. I'll tell you why. Because you were smart enough to declare me in on the profits of your cheap, bawdy paper. We've been doing very well, Steve. Thank God. And thank you. Oh, don't thank God and don't thank me. Thank the things that are able to take a man and turn him upside down and inside out. Thank those perverse appetites that are able to make a human being feast like a vulture on the ills and misfortunes of his fellow men. Why well, wouldn't say such things, Steve? No, you wouldn't. 
You've learned how to calm your conscience into accepting lies and suicides and hatred as normal. Now, listen, Peabody, you stay away from my side of this racket, and especially Miss Lorelei. You double-crossed her. Now, wait a minute, Someday I'm going to give the Peabody closet such a shaking up that the rattling of those skeletons will be heard in every corner of the globe. Now, remember that, Peabody. You taught me how to sling dirt, and now my marksmanship is perfect. Well, I can't stand this room any longer. I'm going back to... Oh, Mr. Wilson? Yes, Miss Foster? Miss Lorelai is waiting to see you in your office. Oh, thank you. I'll go right in. Hello, Lorelai. I'm sorry I kept you waiting. Just been talking to St. Peabody. Oh, that's all right. But I'm going to get right down to business. Lorelai, you're a fool. Well, that's a pretty business. I didn't know you were a psychoanalyst. Well, Peabody made a sucker out of you. Well, he's been making a sucker out of you for a good many years. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with the spot you find yourself in. I know. Peabody told me the happy news that I'll cost the paper $100,000 in a libel suit because of that article I wrote on Harding's factory. Well, Peabody was born a liar, is a liar, and will lie on judgment day. Harding is out to get Peabody. That's why Peabody gave you the lead on that story. I wrote it on Peabody's facts. Yes, I know you did. Oh, and a great yarn, too. <laughs> yes, ma'am, you made that piece sizzle. Congratulations. For getting into a libel suit? Oh, no, for getting the news. You wrote the best piece the big town has read in a long time. Well, it isn't worth, worth $100,000. Oh, sure it is. That was a great head, Lorelei. Mr. Harding's Inferno. <laughs> a great head for describing the factory Harding owns. Mr. Harding's Inferno. You know, I like that. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I like that. Well, Harding doesn't. Now, look, Lorelei. Let me give you the lowdown on the Peabody-Harding feud. They know each other? Certainly. Peabody hates Harding because Harding is no phony. He's on the level. They meet on charity boards and church councils. Peabody is always trying to sell real estate to some charitable institution at five times what it's worth. Harding is always trying to stop him, and does. A hypocrite. It's Peabody who should be exposed by the Illustrated Press, not Harding. Oh, and leave ourselves open for the DA's office to clamp down on the paper? That factory is the worst fire trap that I... Sure, Lorelei, sure. It's Inferno with a capital N. It's the devil's oven. And it was conceived and built and executed by a Peabody. Not by... No, no, no. Not by our benefactor, St. Peabody, the public-spirited owner of the Illustrated Press, but by a son-in-law. Oh. Harding owns nothing. He's a stockholder in the bank and holds a mortgage on the factory. He's innocent. Well, I took Peabody's word for it that Harding was guilty. Well, you'll know better next time. You'll know that Peabody has no word, no honor, no friends. No, not even worms waiting for him at the end of the journey. He can buy men and women to carry out his filthy schemes. Yes, you're right. He can buy me to do his dirty work for him. Well, he can't buy me. <laughs> An excellent bit of heroics, but uh, futile. You can't quit. Why can't I? Because you'll be double-crossing double me. Now, I need you, Lorelei, now more than ever. If you quit, Peabody will offer you up to Harding as a sacrifice. Sacrifice? Sure. He'll paint you as a, as a scatterbrained society girl, a sweet-scented lady bountiful who came out of society to interfere with the smooth course of journalism. He'll tell everyone he fired you. But I quit. Sure you did. But he won't tell that to Harding. How can you stand such a man all these years? I can't. And I can't give up the luxuries I don't need, but have trained myself to enjoy. Vicious habit. Why don't you tell him what you think of him? I did, Lorelei, I did. And every time I tell him what I think of him, I burn a candle for myself. And now, Lorelei, if you promise to stick, I'll go up and tell Mr. Peabody, symbol of cockeyed justice, just what I think of him. Oh, you mean his lawyer, Mr. Yes, Salsa. Yes, Mr. Salsa. Will you promise to stick? 
I promise. Okay. I'm on my way. Good morning. Is Mr. Salter in his office? Yes, Mr. Russell. Go right now. Hello, Steve. How's the mighty editor? Hello, oh, cut it out, Salter. You've got a job to do and a very important one. Get us out of this Harding libel suit or you'll be minus a scalp. But we haven't a leg to stand on, Mr. Wilson. We libel the man. Say, whose lawyer are you, Salter? Ours or Harding's? Come on, get us out of this. I can't. Listen, Salter. I had a nice editorial all ready to print in the Illustrated Press as the start of a campaign to make you a judge. To tell how able a lawyer you are and what a fine, upright judge you'd make. Peabody's already talked to the boss downtown. You were all set to spend the rest of your life in judicial cold storage. But now all bets are off. You understand? All bets are off. Well, can I help it that Mr. Harding has led a clean life? He's a respectable... Respectable. Respectable is a relative term. There must be a slip somewhere. Yeah, but there's never slipped. Well, then he must be uh, a horrible bore to someone. Someone must be sick and tired of him. How does his wife stand him? She loves him. Yes, I know, but that doesn't mean that she stands him. Oh, besides, that's out of your department. That's uh, Mrs. Corbett's department, Advice of Lonely Heart. That gives me an idea. I'll use your phone. This will only take a minute. Lonely Heart's department? Steve Wilson talking. Uh, tell Mrs. Corbett to go to my office as soon as she can and wait for me. Tell me, Salsa. Was there ever a divorce in the Harding family? My office investigated that angle thoroughly. There are no divorces. Well, then we'll make one. Make one? Yes. Manufacture one. Create one, you know, fix one. How? Well, that's your business, my upright judge, not mine. You know the ingredients. But look here... Well, look here, nothing. Now, send me your best investigators. No detectives. You know, investigators. There's a difference. One finds news and the other gets it. I understand. Good day. Hello, Arnold. Liked your column last night. Oh, thanks, boss. How about a raise? Got a new kid. The cutest little kid. Ah, congratulations, Arnold. I'll send it through for you. Gee, that's great. Oh, and by the way, come into my office, will you? I want to talk to you. Okay. Now, Arnold, I'm going to make this short. I heard that the Hardings... You know, William B. and his wife are having tough sledding. You mean the socialite, Hardings? Yes. Say, boss, that's so hot you can start a fire at the store club with it. <laughs> I'll spread this one, boy, and we'll Peabody like it. Now, now, take it easy, take it easy. I, I don't want a big story, Arnold. It isn't worth it. Just an interesting line, something like this. Uh, is it true that the Hardings, socialites, are throwing sticks and stones at each other and are about to renovate it? Then end it like this, uh, uh, too bad. Nice people shouldn't do such things. Thanks, boss. <laughs> that saves me writing it. Well, goodbye, Arnold, and I won't forget that Baby needs a pair of shoes. You'll find it in the pay envelope. Thanks, boss. And throw in a bottle of scotch, just in case Baby catches cold. <laughs> Hello? Miss Foster? Yes, Mr. Wilson? Uh, get me Charlie in the morgue. And tell him I want all the clips on the William B. Hardy. Yes, sir, right away. Come in. Yes. Your uh, lonely heart space, Mrs. Corbett, has been very interesting. Thank you. May I make a suggestion? Always received gratefully from you, Mr. Wilson. I want you to get me a picture and a story, a signed story, by Mrs. William B. Harding, president of Help a Neighbor Society, a story on divorce. Of course, Mr. Wilson. I know Mrs. Harding very well. Yes? She's always glad to cooperate with the Illustrated Press. Well, now, that's fine. I wanted to cover particularly the relationship of stenographers to their employers as a reason for divorce. Yes. 
Mrs. Harding's opinion on domestic affairs is very important. It should make a very interesting article, Mr. Wilson. Come in. Oh, it's you. Now, come in, boys. Come Hi, in. Mr. Wilson. Uh, well, good day, Mr. Corbett. Good day, Mr. Wilson. Sit down. Sit down, Collins. Ah, uh, thanks. Um, I want you to meet Kelly here. Oh, hello, Kelly. Hello. How do you feel, Mr. Wilson? Oh, fine. Fine. Co- Say, I haven't seen you since the Miller case. <laughs> You did a very good job, then. Ah, uh, I just got the evidence. Uh, you certainly did. Found it lying around when no one else could find it. Is uh, this the same setup, boss? You know William B. Harding? The banker, the society guy? Yes. He wants $100,000 from the poor illustrated press. Why, the robber. A libel suit, huh? Exactly. Uh, do we get the usual bonuses for the right evidence if he calls it off? Oh, double, Collins. Double bonus. What's the matter with him? Well, it seems that Mrs. Harding wants some grounds for divorce. We'll accommodate the lady. How long do you think it'll take? Uh, About two weeks. Two weeks. We'll tear down in two weeks what it took Harding 30 years to build up. Thanks, boys, and good luck. Mr. Peabody, like the British Navy, expects every man to do his duty. That brings down the curtain on the first part of tonight's episode of Big Town, starring Edward G. Robinson with Claire Trevor. The people are getting back to their seats again, and now we're ready for the second part of the show. Two weeks have gone by. In his attempt to force Harding to drop the libel suit, Steve Wilson has printed in the Illustrated Press a series of well-directed items calculated to arouse suspicion and distrust in the Harding household. The cumulative effect has been to destroy what was formerly a peaceful and happy home. Our scene opens in the library of the palatial Harding home. Mr. Harding is seated at his desk, distraught and worried. His wife, Elizabeth, is standing in the doorway. Come in, Elizabeth. Please sit down. Thank you, William. Elizabeth, you must believe in me. I want to. Don't you see? Peabody's manufactured this entire thing. Remember, Elizabeth, the first step, the little piece in the paper that said we were about to separate? How could I forget it? Of course, Mrs. Radin brought it to your attention. That was vicious, exactly what Peabody wanted. But why? The interview with you by Mrs. Corbett. Yes. All of that was a put-up job. And getting my secretary drunk so that I would help her was all part of the scheme, too. Did you have to take her to a room at the hotel and have your picture taken? It was a business acquaintance of mine who suggested I take her to his room. A business acquaintance? Yes, a man I thought I knew casually. Mr. Kohler or Coker. No, no, it was Collins. What difference does that make? Can't you believe in me? Believe in you? Oh, well, I've always had such faith in you. Yes. Yes, you've had faith in me for 30 years. Why can't you have faith in me now? Oh, well. Listen to me, Elizabeth. Last night I walked from my office into that little church at the top of the street. Remember? Where we both thanked God for our son. Yes. But this time I was alone. I asked the Lord to make clear to me his punishment of us. To tell me what we've done to deserve this. Oh, Elizabeth, won't you try to understand? I am trying, Will, but I hear people laughing at me. Everywhere I go, I hear people talking and whispers, mocking me, making me feel ashamed. No, Will, I think it's best we separate. For a little while, anyway. All right. That will make you happy, Elizabeth. All that matters to me now is your happiness. I'm going to see the editor, Mr. Wilson, at his home. Today. Now.
Steve, how can you go on playing that tune? Who has a better right, Lorelei? Well, you're a first-class optimist. If you think anybody will abide with you after this, even God. He has abided with me so far. He has tolerated you. Now, what's eating you now? Well, I just had to leave the newspaper woman's club. No one talks to me civilly. Well, maybe they haven't anything to say. You know why they don't talk to me. It's because I'm on that rotten sheet of yours. Because you're taking the Harding family and crucifying them. Well, it seems to me that you could have explained why we are crucifying Harding since you started Harding's march to Calvary with your original story. If you're trying to pass the buck, Steve, you can't do it. You know I could have rectified that. Only by paying $100,000 and ruining me and Peabody and the Illustrated Press. By apologizing? Well, we try that. How? By sending a cheap lawyer who offered Harding an apology in the shape of a favor to him. Well, you must forgive Salser. He has been working too hard for a judgeship to know how to handle justice. Well, how long is this going to go on? Until Harding recalls his legal bloodhound. You're going to frame Harding more and more and spread his manufactured shame over a filthy libel sheet. And that last headline of yours... Mr. William B. Harding found in hotel room a drunken stenographer. Horrible manufactured dirt. Ah, but the fact remains that Harding put her up in the hotel. Yes, because he's kind and good. That poor girl had been with him for years, looking after his office, helping him. He was only trying to be of service to a girl who couldn't navigate and might get into trouble. You know, I think you've got something there. So have you something on your conscience that will eat your heart out sometime. Oh, you'll beat Harding all right. You'll defeat him. Not because you're stronger, but because he loves someone more than he loves himself. Mr. Wilson, I think maybe you want something to eat before I go. Sure, Minna. Give him rat poison. I'm through with him. Goodbye. There she goes. May, may, but she's mad. She doesn't like me, Minna. I know women. I think she do, yeah. <laughs> well, what makes you think so? Because you are a nice man. Well, she disagrees with you, definitely. That I don't understand. You are so kind to everybody. Yes? Is that why people try to shoot me? My best friends won't talk to me? Well, I don't know. I've been with you pretty near ten years. Well, you've been very good to me, Minna. You helped me. Thanks for my picture in your paper. Oh, no mention it. <laughs> my Swedish club vote to buy only the Illustrated Press. Oh, well, thanks. That helps the circulation. Uh, by the way, tell me, what does the uh, Scandinavian Domestic, Dramatic, and Athletic Club offer this week by the great Ibsen? Used once a month we play Ibsen, Mr. Wilson. Oh. This week we be American. Americans? Yeah. Well, what do you play in the American uh, dramatic series? Barbara Fritchie or Pocahontas? Lincoln. What? You play Lincoln? Nay, Mr. Wilson. I recite Lincoln. Well, that will please Honest Abe, I'm sure. Yeah. To Gettysburg address. No, Minna. No, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> well, let's hear some of it. Four score and several years. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Wilson. Oh, certainly. I'll start once more. Yes, go right ahead. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers were fought upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Created equal. Tell me, Minna, do you really believe that? Sure, I believe it, Mr. Wilson. Sometimes they start, but they don't finish. Yes, you're right, Minna. Sometimes they start, but they don't finish. I answer the door, Mr. Wilson. All right, Minna.
Mr. Harding. Thank you. Mr. Harding. Oh, come in, Mr. Harding. Thank you. If I said that this was a pleasure... Or a surprise. You wouldn't believe me. Under the circumstances, hardly. Quite right. Mr. Wilson, as the managing editor of, shall I say, a newspaper... Yes, if you're generous, Mr. Harding. There are times when it's difficult to be generous. I can appreciate that. As the managing editor of the Illustrated Press, you've done me an irreparable injury. Well, I'm sorry, but as the managing editor of the press, we print news. Neither sorry, nor is my personal life such as it is news. Do you realize that out of pure malice, you're separating me from my wife? We've been happily married for 30 years. We printed the news. You printed a manufactured scandal to stop my suit against this paper. But if it was crooked, the courts will give you justice. There's no defense against such tactics as you and your sheet indulge in. Now, wait a minute. You expected us to give you $100,000 of the newspaper's money, didn't you? I expect nothing from anyone now, except my peace of mind, my wife back, the respect you've stolen from me. Oh, then you will stop the suit. Well, that's very sensible. No, not sensible, but sensitive. You know, there should be some way by which you and your kind could be stopped. Some way by which the honest, decent newspaper fraternity could make you stop your blackmail under the guise of journals. <laughs> You're unduly bitter, but I can't say that I blame you. But since you are willing to play ball with us, we will show you that the Illustrated Press doesn't deserve your characterization. We'll retract our story. Retract? Can you retract the harm you've done? Can you heal the wounds you've inflicted on Mrs. Harding, the degradation of my poor secretary? Can you? Well, tomorrow my paper shall carry a special article on the uh, divinity of forgiveness. And the front page will carry a story of your qualities in the past. Charity, respectability, oh yes, and a statement that the Illustrated Press has made an unfortunate mistake. Unfortunate mistake? Oh. Hatched a foul scheme to bring me to terms, to make me cringe and beg for mercy in spite of all my rights. Because those I love are dearer to me than my own pride. And as for Mr. Peabody and myself, believe me, Mr. Harding, we humbly apologize. I don't want your apology. I want back my peace of mind. I expect to see you rectify this filthy business as much as you can in your yellow sheet. My lawyer will immediately discontinue my action. The suit will be wiped out. But how about your conscience, Mr. Wilson? Well, my conscience, Mr. Harding, like John Brown's body, lies moldering in the grave, wrapped in a yellow sheet. Goodbye, Mr. Wilson. Goodbye, Mr. Harding. Well, that's that. I came back. I saw Mr. Harding go. Yes, and now you see what he left behind. What? The greatest faker in the world, washed up. Washed up? Yes. I tried, Lorelei, to serve two gods. Mammon and his disciple, St. Peabody. But I'm through with St. Peabody. You've got a moral hangover. You think so? Yes. And when you write your resignation, you've got mine with it. For better or for worse? For better or for worse. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow The Riley and Kimmy Show. 
We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.